Well, howdy, neighbors. Commissioner Sid Miller here. The Texas Park of Agriculture's Farm Fresh Network connects local producers with schools to provide fresh food for our students. If you're a farmer, rancher, producer, sign up at farmfreshnetwork.org. My name is Jay Pfeiffer. I'm with Pfeiffer Ranch in Bernie, Texas. You're listening to the latest news in Texas agriculture on Texas Ag Today. Welcome to Texas Ag Today, a daily look at the latest news in Texas agriculture. Texas Ag Today is produced by the Texas Farm Bureau Radio Network with the largest farm news team in the Lone Star State. Now here's the host of Texas Ag Today, Carrie Martin. Hello, Texas. We've got another week rolling, and I've got another episode rolling for you of Texas Ag Today. All you've got to do is jump on in with me and buckle up. We're going to take a ride around the Lone Star State as we cover the most important industry in this greatest state in the nation, Texas agriculture. In the news today, a revised Waters of the U.S. rule is out, and most ag groups are not happy with it. We'll have more on that coming up to kick off today's show. My name is Kerry Martin. I'm your host along with the largest and most experienced farm news team in the Lone Star State. And we're all standing by to bring you the latest news in Texas agriculture. From the piney woods of East Texas to the rocky ranges of the Trans-Pecos. And from the Panhandle down to the Rio Grande Valley. For ranchers facing the challenge of herd rebuilding, there is a lot to think about. I'm James Hunt, and coming up on Texas Ag Today, we'll tell you about an AgriLife event designed to help producers with their decision-making. Addressing changing climate patterns through agronomic practices that can improve agricultural production as well as the climate. I'm Tom Nicoletti, and I'll have more from the U.S. Department of Agriculture on Texas Ag Today. The options for fall-planted wildlife mixtures are many, but often the random mixtures offered for sale by national retailers are not the best adapted plants for East Texas. We will discuss forage mixtures for white-tailed deer in East Texas. I'm Dr. Vanessa Olson from Overton. We'll have those stories plus Texas wildlife news and a complete look at the markets all coming up. The Environmental Protection Agency released a rewrite of the Waters of the U.S. rule following a Supreme Court decision that struck down parts of the original rule. But American Farm Bureau's Senior Government Affairs Director Courtney Briggs says AFBF is disappointed in the direction taken by the EPA. This was a real missed opportunity to write a WOTUS rule that is fair to the regulated community and that is truly durable. And the agencies have addressed the headline-grabbing aspects of the Supreme Court decision, like getting rid of the problematic significant nexus test. But they are trying to exploit aspects of the rule in order to expand their jurisdictional reach. But the National Cattlemen's Beef Association is choosing a glass-half-full approach to the new rule. NCBA Chief Counsel Mary Thomas Hart says the updated rule is a step in the right direction. So we saw the, the redlining of any reference to the significant nexus test. That rule, that change that we saw yesterday, significantly narrows the number of features that are subject to federal Clean Water Act jurisdiction and I think provides a lot of additional clarity for farmers, ranchers, and landowners across the country. Thomas Hart says there are still a lot of uncertainties about the new rule, but it is progress following the Supreme Court Sackett decision. 
A case of anthrax has been found in a place where we don't normally find it. A beef cow in Briscoe County has tested positive for anthrax. According to the Texas Animal Health Commission, it is the first case of the disease in the county this year. The premises where the cow was held, about five miles north of Silverton, is under quarantine now. Dr. Andy Schwartz, the state veterinarian, said this case is a good reminder for Texas livestock owners to monitor their susceptible species and speak with the veterinarian if they suspect their animals have been exposed to anthrax. In Texas, cases are most often found in a triangular area bound by Uvalde, Azona, and Eagle Pass. For the Texas Farm Bureau Radio Network, I'm Jessica Domel. There is some very good-looking corn and milo in the northern Texas panhandle, but there's also some not-so-good-looking fields. Wes Beal with Equity Exchange in Spearman says it depends on when farmers got it planted. If you're able to skitter between one or two of those rainstorms and get some corn or some milo in early, my goodness, it looks good right now. It popped right out of the ground. It pollinated back in that nice, cool 80, 85-degree highs that we had there in July really looks great. If you have some that was a little later because you didn't get it in and it tried to pollinate when it was 105, it's just not so awesome. 63% of the Texas Milo crop has now been harvested. 53% of the corn crop is out of the field. When it comes to rebuilding a cow herd, there's a lot to think about. James Hunt tells us there's a workshop coming up that can help cattle producers make those tough decisions. With cattle prices high and apparently headed higher, producers face a lot of strategic decisions in order to make the most out of the opportunities being presented. One major consideration for ranchers, when and how to go about rebuilding their herds. To help producers, Texas A&M AgriLife is offering the Northeast Texas Panhandle Beef Conference this Thursday in Lipscomb. AgriLife Risk Management Specialist D.D. Jones will be one of the presenters. I'm going to start out just doing a basic picture of the cattle market, and then we'll move in and talk about these different replacement decisions. And so much of it's going to be a personal choice. So I plan to introduce some decision aids. We've got a net present value calculator for cows, which basically shows what is the highest price of cow can you buy today based on your current production parameters. So what is your cost per cow? What are the markets looking like? And you put that in there and they're going to show the maximum bid price you could pay for a cow today. So that's really good. We have another decision aid that looks at cows versus replacement heifers. And I'm going to go through those as well. AgriLife beef cattle specialist Jason Smith is also sharing information about buying and raising replacements at Thursday's event in Lipscomb. Contact AgriLife for more details, or you can search online with the words AgriLife Beef Conference Lipscomb. Speaking of informative events for those in the cattle business, TCFA, the Texas Cattle Feeders Association, has its annual convention coming up October 8th through 10th in Grapevine. Thursday is the deadline for getting in on the hotel room block for the convention. More information about hotel reservations, registration for the convention, and a rundown of the activities taking place is available on the TCFA website, tcfa.org. I'm James Hunt on the Texas Farm Bureau Radio Network. Agriculture faces challenges dealing with the government's climate goals, but profitability needs to be a factor. Tom Nicoletti has the story. Technology and innovation need to continue at the forefront in production agriculture during various climactic changes, according to Robert Bonney, Undersecretary for Farm Production and Conservation with the Risk Management Agency. Part of the solution to climate change is actually maintaining productivity. 
We've got to keep people both economically viable and we have to continue to produce food and fiber. And so productivity matters. And that means technology, innovation, genetics, all that stuff matters a lot. And it means our approaches need not to be prescriptive from top down, but to allow that type of adoption of, uh, of, of new technologies and new approaches. And so, again, we're trying to promote a model that, that rewards outcomes, that creates incentives for, um, for outcomes, but that allows that type of innovation. We're used to a lot of environmental issues where, where there are conflicts over the, whether it's the cost of conserving endangered species habitat or whatever the, whatever the issue is. The really interesting thing about climate is there's lots of alignment. There are really good agronomic practices that can improve productivity and can improve uh, the climate as well. U.S. agriculture is more efficient than agriculture in other parts of the world. Efficiency matters. If we can produce more for using less resources, less greenhouse gases, that's an important climate solution. U.S. agriculture is good at that. If we get the incentives, U.S. agriculture is going to be really good, already is really good at climate smart agriculture and forestry. And again, if the approach is one about voluntary, it's about markets, it's about it's about incentives, and it allows for innovation and rewards productivity, I think U.S. agriculture will do very, very well. That is Robert Bonney with the Risk Management Agency at the U.S. Department of Agriculture. I'm Tom Nicoletti at the Texas Farm Bureau Radio Network. The public now has more time to weigh in on a proposal to list a species found in Texas as endangered. I'm Jessica Domel, and I'll have more coming up on Texas Ag Today. And when we think of laminitis, we usually think of horses, but it can develop in other species as well. Veterinarian Dr. Bob Judd has more on that coming up next, right here on Texas Ag Today. Howdy neighbors, Commissioner Sid Miller here. The Texas Department of Agriculture's Farm Fresh Network connects local producers with schools to provide fresh food for our students. If you're a farmer, rancher, producer, sign up at farmfreshnetwork.org. The 2023 Texas Cattle Feeders Association Annual Convention will be here before we know it. TCFA invites you to this year's convention, October 8th through the 10th, at the Gaylord Texan in Grapevine, Texas. The 2023 convention boasts outstanding educational, informative, and networking opportunities. Register before September 7th to save on your registration and hotel room at the 2023 TCFA Annual Convention. Find more information by visiting www.tcfa.org. We're keeping you informed on everything happening in Texas agriculture on Texas Ag Today. When we think of laminitis, we usually think of horses. But Dr. Bob Judd says sheep and goats can develop it as well. The sheep and goat publication indicates laminitis or founder is an aseptic, non-infectious inflammation in the hoof. The lamina is the portion of the hoof that attaches the bone in the hoof to the hoof wall. And this area becomes inflamed and can allow the bone to start separating from the hoof wall. Acute and chronic forms of laminitis can occur and affected animals move with a stiff gait, may not walk at all or even stand, or may walk on their knees. These animals are very painful and usually will not move and have decreased eating and drinking due to the pain. The animals are anxious and sometimes it's difficult to determine which leg is lame since they are usually painful on both front legs or even all four legs. The hooves are warm to the touch, but this is very subjective and the conformation of the foot changes as the disease progresses. 
Although most cases of laminitis in horses occur due to high sugar content in pasture grass, laminitis in small ruminants usually occurs when high grain rations are fed, especially if the change is abrupt. However, laminitis can also occur with a retained placenta, uterine infection, mastitis, lactic acidosis, overeating disease, or even pneumonia. To prevent laminitis, all ration changes must be very gradual, and you can add sodium or calcium bicarbonate to the ration to decrease the chance of lactic acidosis. Treatment of the condition involves treating any of the issues that led to laminitis if infection is involved, and using anti-inflammatory medication like flunixin for pain. Sheep and goats should be removed from all grain and fed grass hay only. Foot trimming is helpful, as the feet of animals with laminitis grow incorrectly, leading to increased pain. I'm Dr. Bob Judd. This is the Texas Farm Bureau Radio Network. The public now has more time to weigh in on a proposal to list a species found in Texas as endangered. Jessica Domel has the details in today's wildlife report. The public now has more time to comment on a proposal from the U.S. Fish and Wildlife Service to list the Dunes sagebrush lizard as endangered under the Endangered Species Act. The public comment period for that was scheduled to end on September 1st. However, Fish and Wildlife has extended the deadline to October 2nd. Fish and Wildlife says they are committed to having a robust engagement process as it considers listing the species as endangered. The Dunes sagebrush lizard is a small, light brown, and spiny lizard found only in the Shinnery Oak sand dune ecosystems in West Texas and southeast New Mexico. The lizard is typically less than two and a half inches long. It eats insects and spiders and burrows into the sand. Fish and Wildlife reports the primary threat to Dunes sagebrush lizard numbers is loss of habitat and land fragmentation. You can read the proposal now on the Federal Register website, federalregister.gov. There, search Dunes Sagebrush Lizard. A link is available on the Fish and Wildlife Service's website. Again, that deadline is now October 2nd. The public can also comment on another proposal involving species found in Texas. In August, Fish and Wildlife proposed listing the toothless blind cat and widemouth blind cat two cave-dwelling catfish species as endangered. The fish are found in the San Antonio segment of the Edwards Aquifer in Bear County. The deadline to comment on those proposals on regulations.gov is October 23rd. Again, that is on regulations.gov. There, search for dunes, sagebrush lizard, toothless blind cat, or widemouth blind cat. For the Texas Farm Bureau Radio Network, I'm Jessica Domel. It is time to plant deer plots. Texas A&M forage specialist Dr. Vanessa Olson says you should be careful to plant the right mix for Texas. White-tailed deer rely primarily on forbs and browse, such as leaves and twigs of woody plants, which are usually higher in crude protein and digestibility than grasses. Grasses comprise only a very small amount of the overall diet of the white-tailed deer. Other useful introduced forages include both warm and cool season legumes. White-tailed deer generally need supplemental nutrition during late summer and late winter when native forages may be lacking in quantity or nutritive value. Warm season forage legumes, cool season forage legumes, and forage oats are all great choices to include in forage mixtures for white-tailed deer in Texas. One problem with planting mixtures of these three forages is determining the correct planting rate for each forage species so that competition is minimized and each species can be productive. 
Planting rate experiments with cowpeas, oats, and clover were conducted at multiple East Texas locations and in multiple years. In the most recent experiment, six different mixtures of iron and clay cowpeas, heavy grazer oats, and Apache airleaf clover were planted at Overton at the end of August. All mixtures were broadcast on freshly disked seed beds and rolled to lightly cover the seed and ensure good seed-to-soil contact. Fertilizer and lime were applied prior to planting according to soil tests. The mixture of 40 pounds per acre of cowpeas with 40 pounds per acre of oats and 10 pounds per acre of air leaf clover provided the best distribution of forage production from early fall to early winter for East Texas. The general recommendations for planting include the following. Make plans to plant between the end of August and the end of September for East Texas. Collect soil samples from the planting location for fertilizer and lime recommendations. Disc the area to be planted two weeks prior to planting and again on the day of planting. Broadcast the seed and follow with a roller or drag to increase seed to soil contact. For additional recommendations, contact your local county extension agent. This is Dr. Vanessa Olson with Texas A&M AgriLife Extension in Overton for Texas Ag Today. The agricultural markets all close Monday for the Labor Day holiday, so we'll take a look back at how things wrapped up on Friday. Keep it right here on Texas Ag Today. Well, howdy, neighbors. Commissioner Sid Miller here. The Texas Park of Agriculture's Farm Fresh Network connects local producers with schools to provide fresh food for our students. If you're a farmer, rancher, producer, sign up at farmfreshnetwork.org. The 2023 Texas Cattle Feeders Association Annual Convention will be here before we know it. TCFA invites you to this year's convention, October 8th through the 10th, at the Gaylord Texan in Grapevine, Texas. The 2023 convention boasts outstanding educational, informative, and networking opportunities. Register before September 7th to save on your registration and hotel room at the 2023 TCFA Annual Convention. Find more information by visiting www.tcfa.org. We're giving you the market information you need on Texas Ag Today. The cattle market closed lower to wrap up the trading week on Friday, heading into the holiday weekend. October live cattle dropped 67 cents to end the week at 180.15. The December down 62, 184.17, with February live cattle down 52 cents, 188.32. Same story on the feeder cattle heading south to wrap up the week with September feeders down a dollar forty two two fifty one eighty five October feeder cattle down a dollar thirty seven two fifty four sixty five with November down a dollar twenty seven two fifty six thirty seven cash fed cattle market seeing cattle sell here in the southern plains at one seventy nine last week that's fully steady with the previous week's market. Up north, Iowa and Nebraska selling cattle live, 182 to 186. That's steady to $2 lower. Dress prices mostly at 292 last week. Boxed beef prices higher on Friday. Choice up $1.61 at 315.40. Select up $1.44 at 290.69. Now let's check the auction barns. We're walking the pens with Larry Marble. 
Ken Jordan, my guest, he sold cattle in San Saba Thursday. Ken, how'd that thing turn out? You bet, Larry. We ended up right at 1,400 head of cattle today. I thought overall the market was very active again this week. I thought the stock steers were steady as a whole, except I thought the little 300 to 450 pounds calves were maybe $3 higher. A group of 21 head of really outstanding steers day week 416, bought 296 a pound. A little four-weight cattle dollared out right at $1,232. Also had a group of six steers weighed 503 at 274 today, 1378 a little change on those steers. I thought the lighter, the stalker heifers, they were probably steady to two dollars higher. I thought your bigger cattle, the feeder steers, were probably steady to instances on the really big cattle, maybe three dollars lower. I had a group of seven steers weighed six seventy three at two forty eight, uh, right at seventeen hundred, uh, right sixteen hundred and sixty nine dollars on those. Packer cows uh, and bulls, they were fully steady. I thought pairs and bread cows, uh, they were as a whole uh, a good bit higher today, Larry. Overall, another good market. Quality cattle's good, too. Um, so, um, good sell. Tell everybody how to contact you. You bet. Give us a call. There you go. 325-372-5159. Also, you can look at some of the kids we know coming right now. There'll be a bunch more that will come in, but you can go to our website, too, at jordanatcattle.com, Larry. We appreciate you. Thank you so much. Thank you, sir. And Texas Neighbor, thank you, too, for listening to the program I put together for the Texas Farm Bureau Radio Network. It's called Walking the Pins, and you're listening to it right now on Texas Ag Today. Back over to the futures market now, where lean hogs finished higher on Friday. October hogs were up 50 cents, 183.05. December hogs up 27 at 74.60. Class 3 milk took a drop Friday. September milk down 27 cents at 18.62.00 while the October was down 23, 1887, 100 weight. Cotton market climbed sharply higher on Friday to wrap up the week. Traders still concerned about crop losses from the hot and dry weather conditions across the cotton belt, as well as what kind of damage Hurricane Adelia may have done to the Georgia cotton crop. We close with October cotton up 151 points, 89.61. December up 213 at 89.95, March cotton up 204 at 89.77. Corn market closed slightly higher as a hot dry weather forecast for the corn belt continues to support the market. September corn up 3 and 3 quarters, 464 and 3 quarters. December corn up 3 and a quarter, 481 and a half, with March corn up 2 and a half, 496 and a half. Both hard and soft wheat finished lower on Friday. September Kansas City wheat down six, seven twenty and a half. September Chicago wheat down five and a half at five sixty-seven and a half. In the energy markets, October natural gas was unchanged at two seventy-six. October West Texas crude up two twenty-three, eighty-five eighty-six a barrel. The financial markets were mixed Friday afternoon. The Dow up 117 points, 34,839. The Nasdaq down 12 at 14,022. The S&P up 7, 4,515. That wraps up our look at the markets, and that wraps up this episode of Texas Ag Today. I'm Kerry Martin. Hope to see you back here next time as we cover the most important industry in this greatest state in the U.S. of A., Texas Agriculture. Thanks for listening to Texas Ag Today. Be sure to subscribe to our podcast on Apple Podcasts, Google Podcasts, or Spotify. For more Texas Ag news and information, check out our website at texasfarmbureau.org. 
or tfbradio.com. Texas Ag Today is a production of the Texas Farm Bureau Radio Network.